Welcome to Connections to the Cosmos with your host, me, Dr. Lisa Thompson, where I have out-of-this-world conversations with extraordinary people. And today I am super excited to have my friend Lisa Gunshore on, and I'll tell you about her in just a moment and bring her on screen. But first, I just want to make a few announcements. For those of you who are watching this on Facebook, um, we would love to see your comments um, and I can answer them um, when we get off. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe um, and you also please comment. We would love your feedback on how you like the information that we are sharing. Um, also want to announce we have an official date for my newest book, Connection to the Cosmos remembering your galactic heritage and embracing your oneness. We are going to be officially um, live on August 30th. Now, for those of you who want to pre-order an author signed copy, um, you can get that right now at mysticmanta.com slash shop. So in my shop, in my shopping area, I have that available available for pre-order and it's $18 in the U.S. That includes tax and shipping. Um, otherwise, if you want to buy it on Amazon, August 30th is when it will be available. And then, of course, my um, Oracle deck, Connection to the Cosmos Oracle deck is available now for purchase as well. And if you are here visiting in Hawaii on the Big Island, come see me on one of my Big Island UFO tours. And for those of you that want a deeper dive into everything galactic and cosmic, join me for my galactic retreat in October. It's October 13th to the 16th here in Waikoloa on the Big Island. So now I am going to bring Lisa onto the screen. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Okay, I'm going read, to read your bio. Okay. <laughs> so Lisa Gunshore is an empowerment coach with expertise in transdimensional mediumship, Ayurveda, and Tibetan shamanism. She is a natural mystic and has had a deep connection to spirit since she was a small child. For 15 years, Lisa has shared her insight with clients around the globe to assist in transformation. Her work on Buddhist Biohacker YouTube as producer of Conscious Content is her greatest passion and mission vehicle. Lisa's work is an extension of her vows taken with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. So cool. She advocates nonviolence and the practice of compassion. As a functional Ayurveda wellness coach, medium, and shaman, Lisa supports the healing of your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies through the teachings of genetic transformation and ancestral healing. So great to have you here, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. So we go a few years back because you um, you invited me to be on one of your summits, the um, one, what was the one? One Earth? heart, one earth. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, ho. <laughs> yes, fantastic. And oh, I just, I love the work that you do. And I just appreciate um, everything that you have to offer the world. So I appreciate Aww. being here. Thank you. I'm honored to be here too. So I appreciate you as well. All Lisa's, you know, we like, we right. usually are in sync. Most Lisa's are. <laughs> so um, to begin, what I, what I like asking my guests, um, just because I find it fascinating and I think my um, viewers do as well, is I would love to know how you grew up. Did you grow up in a spiritual household, a religious household? Like, 
Tell us about that. Oh my God. What a great question. Yeah. I grew up, my parents were hippies for sure. Um, <laughs> my dad had hair as long as me, <laughs> probably thicker and, and better even than my hair. Um, and uh, so I grew up um, really with two very open-minded, highly creative parents. I mean, my parents uh, the best example I can give of who my parents are is they, together, they built a life-size Santa sleigh and all the reindeer hand-painted them and cut them out and did the whole thing with wood and put them on the, the roof for Christmas. Like, that was my parents. So I grew up listening to Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and, uh, you know, just being creative. Like there was always something creative in the household. So I was really lucky because they honestly, they never, I've thought about this a lot with the things going on in the world. Like I was never forced into a construct. Like I never was told what to believe or what to do. If I wanted to explore something, they were completely supportive and they'd be like, okay, you want to sing? Like, let's go take voice lessons. Oh, do you want to do this? Let's go do this. So, um, you know, my dad read Lord of the Rings cover to cover to me when my mom was pregnant with my brother and he did all the voices. And, you know, so it, I mean, it really, that was how I grew up. I grew up in a family. My mom, a multi-generational psychic medium. My mom had prophetic dreams and experiences um, and my grandmother, my great grandmother. And so it was definitely um, normal in our household to have paranormal experiences or have discussions about aliens or spirits or any of those things. And if it, it was never like shut down or pushed to the side, it was definitely something that was supported. So, so it was okay. good. I mean, there's always challenges, but yeah. overall I would say, um, you know, my parents have always been open and continue to be so. Well, that's beautiful. And that's kind of how I grew up too. I, yeah, my mother was always into metaphysical stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just interesting how, you know, there are people who have to go through the religion thing and, and take that baggage away to then really open up to their gifts, but, or they have the gifts, but they, it gets shut down by their family. So it's so true. Right. Well, and even my priest, you know, I, I probably told this story before, but um, Father Lennox was my priest. I was raised Irish Catholic. And um, when I got confirmed in the Catholic church, um, I had to go to Father Lennox's house and have a conversation, right? Because you're getting confirmed. And I told him, I said, well, I don't really know if I believe in all of this. And he looked at me and he was this little old man. He was probably in his 80s then. And he looked at me and he said, I know that you can see the angels. And he said, I can too. He said, that is why I do what I do. And that was it for me. I was like, okay, like I can sign up for this, you know? And so it's kind of funny. Obviously I've converted to Buddhism since, but um, even, even that experience, I didn't have like an intense, like I loved going to church and the incense and the angels and the singing okay. and it was always pleasant. So yeah, you're right. Like sometimes you have to untangle all of that. And I definitely didn't have to do that. Okay. Well, and so with the Catholic church, was it the rituals? It sounds like it was kind of the rituals that you enjoyed. Yeah. And really the singing, I mean, I was in the choir and the, the choir director was also my, my like music teacher. So she, I took my piano lessons and my voice lessons from her. Her name was Lisa too, by the way, Lisa K. Fring, I'll never forget her. And so it was, um, it was more the community, I think. It was more just being able to connect and, and share something I was really passionate about, which was the music. Um, but I also loved the prayer. I don't know about you, but like I loved 
like reciting the prayers and just the energy you felt in the space when that was happening, like that felt special to me. Okay. Yeah. For me, it was um, the family members that I had that were religious were mm. in the Southern Baptist church mm. uh, and in the Lutheran church. And oh, okay. So didn't have the same. <laughs> I had to go to church with them. Um, especially the Southern Baptist Church, that was a little too, too extreme. <laughs> I remember going with my friend to church with her once, you know how you do that stuff when you're a kid and she was Methodist and they had like this puppet show and like all these things. And I remember like, I'm a Scorpio and I definitely appreciated like the there is a level of intensity to Catholicism. <laughs> so in the Methodist church, I was like, what is going on? There's like a band and there's a puppet show. I'm like, this is not church. I'll never forget that. <laughs> so then, okay. So what inspired you to then convert to the Buddhist? Like how did that happen? Yeah. So this was crazy. So, um, and it's cool because my second book, I'm, I'm, in the rewrite phase of it right now. And it's all about uh, the Dalai Lama. And what happened was I was, this was 2009 um, and I was meditating and all of a sudden I was in this golden red room and I was like, where the hell am I? You know, you left my body. I'm in this thing. And uh, I, see the Dalai Lama in front of me now, cause he's a public figure. I knew who he was, but that was literally about all I knew. And I walked up to him and, and he laughed and he said, I've been waiting for you. And then I'm like whisked out of this vision. And so, um, when I came out of the vision, I'm like, what, do, what the heck do I do about this? I know nothing about this. And I, I wrote one of my spiritual teachers at the time and she suggested to create, she's like, why don't you create an intention to like go see him or go meet him or have an experience and it was really amazing. Like two days later, I go to get my mail and there's a letter from the office of the Dalai Lama, which is pretty wild. I'd never gotten anything from that. I know. Here comes Cauldron, by the way. Okay. This is Cauldron. Hey, honey. Oh, sweetie. Yeah. She's trying to cause trouble. Um, anyways, so I'm like, I can't even believe I'm getting this letter. So I open it up and it's like a fundraising thing. Mm -hmm. And it had these Tibetan prayer flags in it. And I thought, okay. So I put those on my altar and um, I ended up looking online and I saw that he was going to be speaking in Berkeley, California. And so I bought a ticket off Craigslist for $20. I had no money to go to California. I was in Colorado. Okay. I was doing readings at the time and you know, you live a humble lifestyle. And I was like, if I meant to go, I'm going to go. And sure enough, I had like all these unexpected sessions. I was able to get my plane ticket. And literally one week after that vision, I was on an airplane going to California to see the Dalai Lama speak at wow. Berkeley. Yeah. And I saw him speak and it's so overwhelming. I don't even know when, when you see somebody like that speak, it's almost like you want to fall asleep because you're so overwhelmed with the energy. So it, it, I actually, the beautiful thing is you can watch all this online. You know, I could watch that speech. And so I did and research for my book because I'm like, I don't even remember what he said. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that led me to attending a three-day teaching um, one year later in New York City at Radio City Music Hall, and it was the teachings of the Bodhisattva. And um, on the third day, it was three days, on the third day, 
I had been walking out um, to Rockefeller Center and having lunch and, oh, I love New York. It's a whole other story. And um, this third day, I thought, I'm not going to go to Rockefeller Center. I want to go a different way. And so I left and went around this corner and I literally ran into this gigantic Secret Service guy, like just like, and I was like, oh my God. And I look and the Dalai Lama is like 10 feet from me. And we make eye contact Mm -hmm. and I could feel the intensity of the energy. And I was like, oh my God, like the Dalai Lama is standing in front of me. And I did get a picture. I do still have that picture. And um, when we came in from that lunch break for the final part of the afternoon, he said to everyone in Radio City Music Hall, he said, listen, if anyone wants to become Buddhist, you can take your refuge vows right now with me. Stand up. And I knew, you know, when a guru speaks to you, he's speaking to a thousand people. He's also speaking to you individually. It's so profound. And I was like, this, this is it. Like, I'm going to do this. And so I took my vows with the Dalai Lama right then. And then um, a couple hours later at the end, he also uh, gave the Bodhisattva initiation, which I took, which is also beautiful because you essentially promise to continue to incarnate for three eons until everyone is awakened. Every sentient being is awakened. So there is no leaving the incarnation cycle when, when you take those vows. And I knew that was it. I was like, of course I'm doing this. And um, probably have taken those vows many times in many lifetimes. And um, and so I did. And that was it. I became a Buddhist. It was like, I just like switched. And after that, it's been a, a journey. It's ever since then, um, I've received uh, five initiations from His Holiness. I worked as a volunteer. I followed him all over the place for seven years. Mm-hmm. And now I'm still in a journey, which will be a lifelong journey of understanding what Vajrayana Tantra is, what were the initiations I received and how to cultivate those seeds that were planted. I mean, it's so complex and long-term and not to get super long-winded, but you're going to love this. So I had this download, like, I don't know, it was probably a year ago. Um, last winter, I got this download that the Dalai Lama is actually Anunnaki and I received this. Oh, and I get goosebumps. So I know I'm supposed to talk about this and it like all clicked because I got this, this download, like he is teaching how to leave the incarnation cycle and he's teaching, you know, really what the Anunnaki put in place. And when I started looking at all the imagery, I have all this Buddhist imagery all over. I mean, behind me and everywhere. And I was like, whoa, like, yes. And I'm like, oh, all of these, you know, arms and legs and these big beings. And I think, oh, this makes so much sense. And so, and it's also linked, you know, if anybody studies Tibet, there's a lot of uh, stories about uh, connections with aliens and intergalactics. And of course, going to these events, it was like very, uh, the chanting and the the noises and the bells, like when I went to the Kala Chakra in Washington, DC, it was like, so out of this world. I mean, the sounds are like, this is not from this planet at all. So anyway, so that's how I became Buddhist. And, um, and I do believe that, you know, um, the first being I ever channeled Aksun Shaman, um, was, uh, had one life in Egypt and he's Anunnaki. And so it just really landed in me this last year, um, that I see, like, I'm part of understanding this and I'm, I'm initiated into this space and there's so much more to uncover with all of that. Yeah. I have so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, okay, so first of all, um, wow, what a thing that you signed up for in terms of the three eons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you're, you are very much a part of this awakening um, movement, but that's being one that's willing to stay behind and be the, be the light for people. Like, that's just incredibly... Um, a giving of you. (laughs) One of the vows, it's so beautiful because I read them once a month. One of the vows is, may I be a bridge, a boat, and a ship for all who wish to cross the water. And that's always stuck with me because, oh, and it makes me want to cry because that's the, the boat is off a vow. It's several pages long. And these vows are, you know, if you're hungry, may I be the milk, you know, if, and one of my other favorite things in there says, May every interaction you have with me, even if it's negative, be your root or your source of awakening. And I think that centers me often when I'm having challenges because no matter what kind of experience we have with other human beings or in this world that's divisive and all of these things, like those are still moments of Shakti, moments of awakening. And yeah, three eons is a lot, but it's like weird. Like I have no doubt. I want to come back here. I love it here. I love it here. I understand how to be here and I have no problem coming back over and over again. Okay. Well, and I know that I, I have viewers and p- part of my tribe that cannot wait to get out of here. They're like, I never want to come back again. Yeah. So what, what can you give a couple of tips or tools that they can maybe implement to help them be okay with being here? at this time in this place. Well, the first thing I'll say is if you if you don't want to come back, that's your ticket back because you're force you're you're pressing against the current. So, I think if you're anxious to get out of here, you're probably uh you you might want to create space for the lessons you're wanting to run from. That would be the first thing I would say. Yeah, we have um, is like, yep, never coming back. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I get it. I get why we don't want to do that. But I think the ticket out of the incarnation cycle is letting all that go mm. and, and, and being here for the greater good of the collective, because the consciousness is collective. It's not like, oh, I can opt out of the consciousness. So even if you don't want to incarnate back, that doesn't mean you're not part of this consciousness. And I think that's something at this point, even as if you're a star seed, you volunteered to come be part of the collective, you're now in it. So do we want to lift the collective or, or are you really trying to opt out? So that's one thing I would say. The other thing I would say is as far as a tip or a tool is just to be in nature, because how can you be... I don't believe that there is a single planet that exists like this one. I don't think there are trees like this one. I don't think there are oceans like this one. And I think like when, when I go up in the Rocky mountains or we were talking about Hawaii, like when I lived on Maui and I go back and visit, like there is nothing like this place. So I think, you know, in Tibetan Buddhism, again, in the bone tradition, it's all about the five elements and being in nature. And I'm, personally, like a daydreamer of becoming a transcendentalist. That's all I want to be. I've read faith in a seed by Thoreau like five times. Like I just Emerson and Thoreau and just being in nature and not talking to anyone and being with the trees. Like that is 
that is the way in to mm. surrendering to being here because how can you not be here? Yeah. Well, and I totally agree with you. And actually that's in my book. My name oh, is- I love it. <laughs> I, have I have a chapter of being a tourist on planet earth and mm. the things that I like personally in my life, what I appreciate about being here, because I feel like the more gratitude that we can have and see the beauty and biodiversity is one of them, nature and the beauty. Cause you're right. I, in my experiences, there is no other place like this. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm an animal geek. I grew up just being obsessed with the diversity of animals specifically, mm-hmm. but then I've gotten more into plants and flowers and stuff too, like all of nature. But I just love, I love, love, love what we have here. There's nothing yeah. like it. Yeah. And <laughs> the food and the cultures. And, you know, yes. Yes. Diversity. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, okay, so another thing that's interesting about what you said of um, the kind of alien origin, origins of Buddhism and the Vedic um, culture and all of that. So Lisa Royal Holt, are you familiar with her work at all? Mm-hmm. She's a channeler from um, Phoenix, but in the okay. 90s, she wrote a few books. And one of the things that one of her beings that she channels, Jermaine, um, so his information is that the Vegans from the Vegas star were actually the ones who brought the, um, the origin of the spirituality for the Vedic, for the Native Americans and mm. cultures. And um, so anyway, so I just love that you have had that kind of um, awareness. And I would love to know people have different definitions or ideas of who the Anunnaki are because we have, you know, we have someone like Zachariah Stitchin who is, you know, he's, he was postulating, well, are they here to mine gold? And that was just simply a question he threw out. But I think a lot of people would put that on, on them of like, they were these slave owners or like they were slaves. But then, you know, there are other people who are more broad of like, it just means that those who come from the heavens. So it's not a specific race necessarily of ETs, but um, where Zachariah was saying, okay, now they're from Nibiru specifically. So what is your, um, the information that you get about that? Oh, I love that question. What do I think about that? I would say from the things that I've channeled, I mean, so I think I want to give context to say that the the group that I now channel, because you know this evolves, right? <laughs> it evolves, and it's like, who am I channeling today? So the group I've been channeling for the last two years is the Sacred Council of Light, and they're a diplomatic council from the Pleiades. And I've been on this council for a long time. And my job has been in the past with this council to um, work with... Um, benevolent beings in aggressive species when they're getting ready to put put together or coordinate a treaty. So my job was to be the person who, or the, the being that's connecting with these aggressive beings and, and having conversations to bring peace. And I share that because what I am clear about with my mission, it's kind of funny because I really don't talk about this very much, honestly, out loud. Um, I've que- I wonder if I should or shouldn't, and out it comes here as we're talking. So um, 
this experience we're in right now is about loving all species, light and dark. And I've been given lots of information about the biological things that are going on on the planet and our rejection of ourselves and not wanting to experience our own DNA and how that manifests. And so to answer your question, I think that the Anunnaki, I have felt that they're their own species or race. I haven't felt like it's just kind of all of, you know, a generalized term. I do feel that the depictions of these large beings in Egypt are accurate from what I've learned from Oxun. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that just like us, there's good and bad. (laughs) So I, I think that you know, there, there were groups with a specific mission and maybe they were mining and maybe they were trying to manage slave labor. And I think there were other groups that were um, wanting to experiment and explore what it's like to work with other beings or to create beings. And, and, and so my feeling after the download I received last year about the Dalai Lama is that he is part of the Anunnaki race and that his role in this arc incarnate, you know, this reincarnation cycle he's in is to teach these, these large, you know, concepts of what kind of cycle we're really in and that death really isn't what we think it is and teaching these traditions as part of the awakening. So I think that, we have to be really careful. I have a really incredible species, which I've channeled, but it's so bizarre. Um, but he's a giant galactic spider and he's really amazing. And his name is artist and he's super great and he's super freaky, but I love spiders. And, and I think some people love spiders and some people hate them. And so I think we have to keep that in mind when we talk about galactics, because it's so easy to, Oh, the reptilians are all bad. Well, no, they're really not. And neither are the Anunnaki. And just like us, there's different roles and different missions and different things that are going on. And we have to take in all the information. The unfortunate part is that the information is so distorted that it's really difficult for us to ascertain what's actually true and what's not true. So you have to kind of go in. Um, But yeah. I love it. You're speaking my language because this is what I actually help to educate people on our UFO tours. Because everyone has questions like, well, the, the grays, you know, and the, <laughs> so much fear. And mm-hmm. so one of my missions is to change that fear-based narrative into one of love. Like, as you know, mm-hmm. everything's love. Everything about mm-hmm. love. And just like humans, we have people with good intentions. We have people with, like, oh, maybe their own self-intentions. And so, yeah, there are races that within those that are still in third, fourth dimension polarization, there are going to be like ones that are more service to others or service to self. And they're not all, you can't just say all earth humans are negative or bad. Exactly. And same with these other races. So yeah, the reptilians and the draconians, all the ones that get the bad press. (laughs) Yes. And we can't all exist on this planet without holding space for all of us to exist on the planet. And so I think, and that's part of the problem, right? Part of the problem is, and, and recognizing like, you know, we, we were 
given the gift to be on the surface of the planet, but that doesn't mean that it's fair to the other species. And until we can all hold space and, and really see all the truth, mm -hmm. as you know, we can't, we're going to operate in these split realities. Yeah. Well, and the, the beautiful thing of what polarity does for us is it helps us evolve. Mm -hmm. So it's a mechanism of change. Yes. And we gain the wisdom and then we can continue on. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. So I love that. Um, so what other, okay, let's talk about channeling now. Yes. So you, like you said, it, it's been an evolution for you of different beings or groups that have come through you. So how did it start? When did you actually start channeling? Well, so this is interesting. So um, for me, like what, what started for me was um, I've been a medium, you know, I had shadowy figures and all that weirdo stuff happened when I was a kid and teenager. And then um, in my twenties, when I kind of received my calling to go out and start doing this work, what happened was I was really fascinated by trans channeling and I had an, a medium experience with Edgar Casey, mm. and he came to me and I, I felt this connection. And so um, I found this book called um, Opening to Channel um, by Saniya Roman and Dwayne Packer, which most everybody who trans channels has read that book, I think. I um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so this was 2005. Okay. So 2005, I was 27 and uh, 26, maybe. Anyways, um, so I found that book. I read the book. I did the activities and I had these cool experiences, but I was like, I'm not trans channeling. Like I want to trans channel. And so I was very disciplined and hyper-focused on this for several months. I mean, getting up at 3 a.m. and practicing out-of-body experiences, focusing on all the activities that they gave us, like hyper-focused. I was like, I am meant to channel. And one night I was sitting with my really good friend, Barb, and it was like midnight or something. We always would stay up late and read cards and all these weird things in my office. And uh, so we were in my office and I said, I think I'm going to channel. And the next thing I know, I'm like coming out of wherever I was. And she was like freaking out. Okay. And that was the first time that Oxen, A-K-S-U-N, Oxen came through me. Um, and he, the first thing he said was trust in your heart. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and many other things he said. And so I started channeling oxen. And what was funny was when I started channeling, I called my mom and I said, I got to tell you this thing that's happening. So I told her about my experience and my mom said, oh, she goes, well, maybe I should tell you. <laughs> and she told me that when I was a kid, I was like five years old. She said that they heard a noise in my room middle of the night. And they came in and I was sitting straight up in bed at five years old, speaking in a different language in a man's voice. And she wow. said it scared the crap out of my dad, which I believe. Yeah. And uh, they had to shake me and shake me and shake me to wake me up. And so my mom was like, obviously, you've been doing this much longer than you know. And um, so that was kind of cool because it was like this validation that I didn't even know until after I'd had the first trans channeling experience. And so um, by 2006, I started channeling in front of groups and allowing oxen to come through. 
And I did that for a couple of years. I have like a book's worth of information from then. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I sort of put down the trance channeling piece. Um, The thing about trance channeling, you probably experienced this, is it cracks your etheric body. And so it's really difficult to hold a vibration. And I also wasn't, I didn't know anything about my food allergies. I didn't know anything about any of that. I was drinking Diet Coke and going to Pizza Hut, whatever. I was in my 20s. And so um, I really went through these purification stages. And honestly, I'm in another one right now to to clear that conduit, you know, you have to clear. And every time I channel, they're like, you need to be healthier and you need to do that, you know, in their own language. But it's like, there's always like, get more clear kind of thing. And so, um, so I kind of, I just automatic wrote, I'm a huge automatic writer, it just flows out of me. And mm-hmm. so I've done that for years and years. And then in 2020, with everything that was happening around the world, um, I, decided I probably should try to channel again. And so I did. And that's when um, the sacred council of light came through and it was kind of a collective and then it shifted into this council and then I got more information. So, um, and I have in my mobile app, I have all of my transmissions in there that people can read. So, and I used to channel every month and I've really felt, I don't know what you've been feeling, but the last like really since the end, November of 2021 last year, I've been feeling like um, just to kind of let things, my council has said, we've given you all the information you need and you really need to go through and integrate and process all that information. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. So they're very much with me mm-hmm. and I feel them. Um, but I haven't necessarily been trans channeling a lot right now, but okay. yeah, so that was my trans channeling story. So, um, I've channeled Yogananda. Um, I've channeled, uh, Lord Jesus, I've channeled, um, uh, Nostradamus was a big one. I channeled for a while. I got really obsessed with him and, uh, so much so that my, uh, client, I had a client base in Seattle. They actually bought me a bronze statue of Nostradamus. So I have him at my house. Um, so I've definitely dabbled with a lot of the beings and some angelic beings and I've channeled mother earth quite often actually. And, um, one of the things that I am most passionate about is channeling the whales and they come to me in the dream state often, um, which is why I'm drawn to Hawaii and why um, that's a place for me to be because the whales are incredibly special to me. They are. Yeah. Okay. So um, when you are channeling these different beings, are you choosing who you are channeling or is it just, you have that strong connection then you called on him to come through you or how did that work? Well, yeah, it's both. I mean, if I want to channel a certain being, I'll call him in. I don't do that very often and and really not so much anymore because as you know, like you don't know what you're really going to bring in. Um, and then the, the council just kind of came forward. It was like, oh, this is the beings that are coming forward. Like Oxen is still with me and I can talk to him and connect with him. Um, but he's told me his frequency um, isn't as good as the council to really come in and, and communicate. And so, um, so yeah, so it's both. I, and it's the same way with mediumship. Like I can call in a loved one, but I like to leave it open to see what loved one shows up first. And it's yeah. kind of the same thing for channeling. It's like, you know, but the council is very present. And so when I go into my space, 
um, you know, I can see and feel them. There's a certain spot I'm sitting in and, you know, it, there's an energy field I'm in when they come um, and I know who they are. Okay. So um, question then, I guess, about the council or, well, actually first, for those who don't understand the difference between trans channeling and conscious channeling, um, can you give your, what, what that trans channeling definition is? You. Yeah. So for me, conscious channeling is really what we do when we do readings and mediumship and all those things. Like we're pulling in information, but we're pulling it, you know, kind of from the ethers and bringing it into our space and communicating. Trans channeling is when a being literally plugs into your trans medium channels at the back of the neck. Mm -hmm. um, and those are usually popped open with a near death experience. However, um, you know, some of us, maybe they were always open. I don't know. Um, but you have those channels at the back of the neck and they plug in and they actually speak through you. So you're in a trance when you're doing it, you're not present. I say that knowing that we're really present. I mean, for me, I'm either in a room and they're talking to me, but they're actually talking through me to you. Mm -hmm. or I'm above my body and I can hear everything that's coming out of my mouth. So you know what's going on. You're receiving okay. the download, at least for me. Yeah. Um, but to me, trans channeling is when I actually allow them to plug into the body and communicate through me. Your voice changes, your energy field changes, everything changes when you do that. Okay. Thank you for that definition because um, I that's what happens to me is like I'm above myself and I and I can hear myself speaking, but it's you know, it's not words that the way that I would ever say anything. <laughs> Yes. I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, but I grew up with channeling in terms of going to a teacher that was a channeled entity. Mm. And that was Ramtha. And um, so Jay-Z, who channels Ramtha, she would go into a trance state, but she would be so deep, she wouldn't know what was uh -huh. happening. Yeah. And so I'm glad that you have given that definition, that description. So it's a continuum. You mm -hmm. can't be fully like know what's being said or you can be totally out of it and then uh, come back and listen to what you said <laughs> yeah exactly yeah okay beautiful so what kind and you had you mentioned your mobile app so tell people yes. how they can find that oh thank you yeah so um my app is the buddhist biohacker portal and it's only $24 a month, you guys. And there's over 1,200 videos in there. Wow. It's insane. <laughs> I have seven video courses, including <clears throat> an eight-week video course on how to channel. I have um, tarot in there and all sorts of fun things. And I also have Tibetan shamanism courses and Ayurveda, natural detox, um, all of how to deal with toxic burden, all those things. So it's really a personal transformation space. Um, I also have all of my transmissions, not just from the sacred council of light, but from oxen and all of those other experiences from the beginning of my channeling. So I have, um, I don't know, there's probably 60 plus transmissions in there that people can read and connect in with. And then it also has a private community space. Um, so there's a social community, you know, we have, uh, different groups, like we have an ultra terrestrial group where we can talk about aliens. We have, you know, it's basically like our own private Facebook, but there's no algorithms, tracking, tracing. It's it's yeah. a, a clean space. And so um, really a lot of my work I do and the people I work with are in that space now. So 
Well, that's beautiful that you developed that. And what what inspired you to actually create the app? The council told me to do it. I mean, I never thought I would be an app developer. That was not at all. And I have a so I have a lot of Atlantean energy. So I'm I technical things are very easy for me. And I really didn't know that that was a thing. I'm not technical. I wouldn't define myself as technical. However, um, I built all my own websites and and I built my app. And um, so I built it myself and I just uh, kind of revamped it. It was kind of like in a beta group for the last year. And um, now it's the Buddhist biohacker portal. And um, yeah, I wanted a space for my work and I wanted a space that wasn't going to be censored. And I wanted a space where we could really hold that diplomatic, nonviolent energy for each other, where we can share what we feel and talk about it. We just had a beautiful live stream conversation in the app talking about abortion and, and what everybody's feeling, because we're all kind of feeling different things. And so to have a safe space, to have these open conversations without judgment has been priceless. That's beautiful. Well, and I know a lot of, there's a lot of different information that people have about um, the experience of the entity that might be coming in that soul or whatever. And I, I was reading a thread on Facebook yesterday and I'm just like, there are a lot of people who just, they, they have, I have different understanding than they do about mm -hmm. what that soul's journey is and mm -hmm. you know, contract is and all of that. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to know if you're willing to share some of the information that the council shares, like what, what information do they have to give people? Oh my gosh. Well, I love that you're asking this. I'm going to see if I can actually pull this up while I'm here and I'll read you something from one of the transmissions that they shared. Um, cause I have them right here on my computer. Um, definitely a lot about our genetics and timelines and a lot of universal teachings, honestly. I mean, it's a lot of, um, you know, learnings. Um, and so let me see here if I can find my stuff. I know we're live, but I do kind of want to share if I can find it here. Let me just see. <laughs> I would love to know what they say about the genetics. Well, yeah, that's what I'm, let me pull this. Okay. Yeah. Let me see here. Um, here we go. This is the folder I want. And hopefully everyone watching is enjoying this as much as I am having the conversation with you. Oh my God. I love it. I just love it. Um, there's this really beautiful one about the photon belt. So I'm hoping that's what I'm pulling up right now. Cause it's really epic. Um, so it's loading you guys. I'm so sorry. It's loading. You're good. We'll see if it comes up. I guess I could pull it up a different way too. I could just pull it up from my app. Hold on guys. I should have had this ready before. Okay. Here we so, go. So when you're channeling them, are you speaking in front of people when you're doing this or are you just allowing it to come and then you um, you transcript it later or transcribe it. So a lot of the times I'm automatic writing. So I just go into a space and yeah. they just go. 
Um, okay. That said, I absolutely have done some channeling. I'm actually doing a brand new experience that I'm really excited about um, that is going to be with my gong. I, I use a Neptune gong and I actually channel the gong, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So um, the that I will be channeling live um, for everyone at the end of that experience. So Okay, here we go. Okay. Here's my transmissions. Hold on. Sorry, I didn't think my computer would be this uh, crazy. Luckily, I have them all in my app. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, so here's something that they said, and I'll just read it. In June of 2021, we, the Sacred Council of Light, transmitted information regarding the photon belt and the activation of light codes. As we have said for many months, the pandemic of 2020 was only the beginning, the catalyst, if you will, of the transformation of man on planet Earth. We have also spoken of waves of ascension in which activations are taking place on the planet to awaken the consciousness of individuals and collective groups of energy. We wish to speak more on this topic now. The planet Earth resides in a galaxy that you call the Milky Way. This galaxy is an electromagnetic field operating in a circular or spiral pattern known as a toric field. The torus is the blueprint for all life forms, all bodies of energy. This is true from the smallest of your creatures to entire galaxies and star systems. Your solar system is located on what is known as the Orion Arm, approximately 27,000 light years from the galactic core. The Pleiad star system in the constellation you call Taurus, approximately 410 light years from Earth. Our central sun, the central sun of Pleiades, is called Alcyon. The Pleiad star system is is a toric field like that of your solar system and the Milky Way galaxy, and so on, as all systems are represented by the sequence of spiral arms known as the Fibonacci. This information gives you context to the ascension waves or shifts of collective consciousness. You will find photon belts in each galaxy. Your science describes this as stars that are collapsing. This is not entirely true. A photon is a particle of quantum light. A photon belt is a collective of quantum light. While your science describes these light particles, stars, radiation, electromagnetics, etc., we can assure you that these are much more. A photon belt is a living collective of information. When a system collapses, the event is a merging of collective consciousness. Some systems have obliterated themselves only to start anew in a new system. Other systems have merged into their source consciousness and are now moving to a new system to start their creation process over again. Your science refers to these collapses as black holes, star collapses, and planetary explosions. This is the case in form and matter only. In truth, the consciousness of the system has shifted in a way that it must create elsewhere. When these systems collapse, move, or transition, the collective consciousness will place information into these quantum light particles known to you as photons. Within Earth's many cycles, there have been civilizations that have left their energetic mark on the planet. 
Even when the civilization no longer existed, you can find its remnants. Ancient Egypt is one example. Atlantis is another. These systems with high vibrational frequencies are not to be forgotten. Whilst the history of your planet remains distorted, the energy of this history cannot be erased. The reason the information is important currently is due to the Earth's trajectory and its connection to the Pleiades photon belt. It is true that planet Earth is in a 2,000-year, your timeline, cycle, in which it is in alignment with the photon belt that surrounds Alcyon. Due to this, you are accessing information from the photon belt. This information is an activation of memories from these civilizations, inactive DNA inside your physical forms, and a frequency change of the planet herself. It is this information that explains the basis of our discussion regarding waves of ascension. You see, the ascension waves are an activation of quantum light particles or photons that contain information regarding your planet. The history of the planet is a pure form, and it's accessible during this time if one is to look for it. Activation of your genetic structures is occurring for all sentient beings, including Mother Earth herself. It is those of you who connect with the transmissions via conduits on the planet that will receive the greatest benefit, for it is only through the conscious understanding of how our systems work that you will access the information in its entirety. And it goes on and on from there but that's an example of the sacred council. Wow. Well, I had goosebumps. Especially <laughs> <in the last laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reading. And, and I mean, you're not a scientist, so it's not like you, <laughs> you would know that information. Just, I mean, you're brilliant. But you're, yeah, you yeah. 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 It's definitely them. I don't talk like that. <laughs> it's definitely them. And, and they, they, that is the kind of information they share. I mean, they've really been talking about these ascension waves and what's being activated and, and how to activate our DNA and even addressed the um, uh, injections um, and that the, ex the negative experiences with those are coming from human beings who are rejecting their own DNA because of the DNA mix. And so it's, it's powerful information because it really is about becoming one with yourself and in turn the collective consciousness, because we all are that inside of us as well as outside of us. Okay. I have a question and not, I don't want to come to, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither <laughs> or whatever, but so, you know, we have a group of people who did it. Get the injection and then we have a group of people who did get the injection and people are having different experiences on both sides and so for those that did get the injection what what is their information about like um that for especially for someone who really is in that awakening process or has awakened yeah so their information was the same for both sides really it's about what is in alignment with you okay. if you make a decision that's out of alignment, you're going to experience dis-ease. Um, if you make a decision that's completely in alignment, then you're on your path. Um, and so I think it comes down to being clear about what your decisions are or not. And again, if you awaken to a different truth, no matter which side you're on, and you have negative experiences, it goes back to what their information is, is going back in and assessing, are you 
rejecting a part of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that was their info on that. <laughs> well, I very much appreciate that. And that's, that's what I had come to in my own mind, because mm-hmm. again, really like both sides, what I have been working through over the last few years is getting over any judgment or like being more higher, higher observer perspective, not mm-hmm. polarity. Now I have moments because I have feelings about like, you know, women's rights and thing, things of that nature. But um, the Arturians that I'm working with right now, they're like, stay out of it. Just stay in that higher perspective. And there are other people that are there to do that other work. That's not your work. Same, so. same. I mean, the sacred council has said like, stay in the middle Yeah. and, and don't take sides, which is hard when you have a belief. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm learning how to have my own belief and opinion and also hold space for other opinions. Um, and that is, it's a journey. Yeah. And same here. And it's really interesting because I am surrounded by people who are very polarized Mm -hmm. on both sides, including my husband. And so it's just interesting because he will, he'll enjoy getting into like debates on gun rights or something with his friends that don't agree with him, his golfing buddies. (laughs) and, And then he gets all ramped up and I'm like, stop talking to them about that. But he like, there's part of that that he enjoys. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he watches the news. He has realized that watching the news str- produces anxiety, though. Yeah. It stresses him out. So he's not doing that as much. He's back to watching sports. <laughs> because I like he tries to tell me about the news. I'm like, do not tell me. Yeah. I, I don't want that in my field. <laughs> yes. I'm very grateful. Like, my husband and I are not in any of it. Like, we both just... And uh, he went on his own awakening journey. And so we've come full circle from him being on one side to the other side. to now we're on no sides. And so, yeah, it's uh, we have to know what's going on in the world, but we also don't have to allow it to hook into our energy field. And, and so, yeah, I'm on the same bus as you. <laughs> yes. So what is the most profound experience you've had working with either the higher dimensional beings or just like in all of this awakening process that you came here to be? Oh gosh, the most profound? Or one of them. (laughs) I know that's a hard question. It is a hard question because I've I've been blessed to have lots of profound experiences. I think for me, the one that comes to mind is when I met the Dalai Lama and we did, we had an audience, the volunteers, there was like 40 of us, I think. And we were in a room and he walked in the room and that moment for me, and I know there's a lot of controversy and there's a lot of people who would say the Dalai Lama is involved in a lot of things too. And, you know, he's still a profound teacher no matter what's going on with the political part of it. And when he walked in the room, it was like the room shattered like glass. It was like I couldn't, it, there was no more form. It was, it was like everything fell away and there was only light energy. Mm-hmm. 
And we got on the risers and the way that they had us all stand, I was pressed up against him. And I, I, I sat there and he's in front of me and I'm like up against his robes. And he, he seems so tiny and small on the stage, but he's very tall and strong and big. And I remember like this strong guru, like standing in front of me. I'm like to even be like in his presence is karmically this gift, you know? And, um, it was like nothing I've ever experienced ever before, ever again. It was like this moment of just, there, there was just nothing, nothing existed. It was just crazy. And so that was probably the most profound and certainly life-changing experience because it brought reality to the quantum fields for me. Okay. Um, I hadn't experienced before. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, so you and I are going to be in an upcoming summit in September and it's planets and predictions. And so um, me, I'll be talking about the cosmos, galactic stuff. And I would love for you to just give a little teaser as to what you're going to be talking about so that people will tune in. <laughs> yes, please do, you guys. It's hosted by Delisa Hawking from Spirit and Spark. And uh, yes, I am going to be talking about what I see for health um, over the next few years. So we'll be talking about um, what to expect in healthcare and also what kind of technologies and advances we might see in healthcare. I've been uh, channeling the information all week this week in preparation for my conversation with Delisa. And I'm excited because I think what we're going to see is such a shift into the natural, um, more biological focused healthcare rather than allopathic. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about where we're headed. So even if it feels like there's all these challenges, like in the future, I see hospitals with grass growing in the parking lot, you know? And so I think like that's, that's where we're headed in a positive way. So, yeah. Well, I've spent a lot of time in um, doctor's offices over the last year for various reasons. Um, and I get high anxiety walking into a doctor's office. And so, and I've always been more into the natural healing myself, but you know, there are things that have been going on that, and it's not just me, it's for my family members as well. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I just, I, I love that prediction and I will, hold that as a focus. <laughs> yes. yes. My whole book is about all that, uh, enlightenment pie, um, about my distrust. Um, yeah, my book's called enlightenment pie and, uh, it's all about how allopathic medicine let me down. <laughs> and so I don't know if they'd like me talking about it, but yeah, so, um, I am with you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there is so much more that we could talk about. Yes. We're out of time, but I know we didn't even get to talk about any of your, like, um, the shamanism and the Ayurveda and uh, like all the other stuff. So, um, hopefully, you can be back on with me. Yes, I would love it. This has been awesome, and we talked about all sorts of cool things I don't normally talk about. So it's really unique and special. So, yay! Um, so. 
thank you for being here. And for those of you watching, thank you so much. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, let us know. Again, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And um, thank you for those of you here. And until next time, I will see you then. Thank Love you. That.